Let us hear the word of the Lord from Galatians chapter 4, commencing at verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his uh, sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. May the Lord's word bless you today. Amen. Thanks, David. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, your infallible truth, where you communicate life-saving truth to us. As we consider this passage and its implication and its application to us at this Christmas time, Lord, again, we ask that your Holy Spirit might take the words of this text and apply it to our lives, that he would encourage us and stimulate us in our walk as we follow Jesus, and indeed that he might draw people into a saving relationship with Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Do you love Christmas? <laughs> favourite season? For some people, it's favourite season. I love Christmas. We, um, I enjoy the whole season of it. There are parts of it that are a bit, you know, the traffic and the pressure of having to buy appropriate gifts and all that sort of stuff, but vouchers are incredibly wonderful things. Christmas is the time it's God's answer, the part of God's answer to our significant problem, isn't it? Of sending his son into the world to redeem us and to save us. <clears throat> I love Christmas. I love the Christmas food. I love the sales. Went shopping yesterday at Carindale with Rhonda. I was telling a few of you before. And uh, we'd done all of our Christmas shopping. We didn't really go. I went to buy something extra for Rhonda. And uh, she went, of course, to buy something extra for me. And... I bought some extra on top of what she bought me, and then I bought something else on top of that, and we spent a fortune. I love Christmas. Unfortunately, the bills will come. Love the Christmas carols, the songs. We'll sing a couple of those later on in our service. One of the things I love about Christmas is the friendliness of people. They're different. They're much more engaging. They're much more relaxed. I mean, there's a pressure and the tension of everything of shop and being busy, but you say things to people in shops and they, and they stop and they smile, you know, have a nice Christmas. And, and they have a saying to say something back to you, you know, and due to or happy Christmas or whatever it is. It's a lovely time of year because of that. And we are li living in a society where we have the privilege of this spiritual truth being celebrated for us. Did you hear about the man? Oh, we're still deciding on, some of you have got it. I'm open to suggestions. <clears throat> we're looking for a film, a movie, that we can watch every Christmas. There are lots of them. Christmas movies. Put up your hand if you watch a Christmas movie at Christmas. Okay, 12 of you are telling the truth. <laughs> Shout out what yours is. Die Hard. <laughs> Die Hard's on the list. They're Christmas movies, Die Hard, happens at Christmas. Fully appropriate. Christmas shoes. Christmas shoes? 
Who's heard of Christmas shirts? Uh, you're on your own, buddy. What is it, in Spanish? <laughs> you're not on your own. Bruce knows. <laughs> Never heard of it. Is it a good one? Is that it? What do the Chidascos watch? Come on. Oh, Home Alone, yes, and Elf. Brendan. Sorry, Henry, what are you saying? Last night you watched Jingle All The Way. Did you go to bed last night? You're going to bed tonight? You don't have to. Anyway, if you've got a suggestion, come and tell us later. We're still in the process of looking. Uh, we certainly prefer the action type one, so Die Hard's probably out near the top. <laughs> People have all different sorts of expectations of Christmas, don't they? So usually this time of the year and at Easter, I go looking for videos to perhaps show in church, and we've got some for tonight and tomorrow. And a couple of kids are just brilliant at retelling the stories. Um, I'll tell you about a kid in a minute. But I came across this saying that there are three stages of a man's life. First stage, he believes in Santa Claus. Second stage, he doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And third stage, he is Santa Claus. <laughs> of course, Christmas is not about him, is it? Not about Santa Claus. But people were interviewed, and I saw this, this is out of England, and here are five different responses. Um, what does Christmas mean to you? First person says, it means going out, getting drunk, and friends having a good time and a good laugh together. Will be that for many Australians. Um, one person said, a young lady said, it's really about the presents. She said, oh, it's getting together and it's love and all that stuff, but it's really about the presents. For some people, that's probably true. It's about spending money. Amen. <clears throat> it's about family, one person said. It's about coming together. It's about celebrating together and having a meal together and just a general catch-up as a family. It's a family time. Well, that's the closest to the truth. Christmas is about relationships, but it's, not, it's secondarily about our relationships with one another, and that's fully appropriate, but primarily it's about our relationship with God. That's why Jesus came, to re-establish our relationship with him, and then flowing out of that, establishing and affecting our relationships with one another. We'll remember Jesus at Christmas because at Christmas, it's his birthday. It's the real story. Of course, there's lots of varieties of stories. There was a little kid at school, and uh, they were doing a Christmas play, and he wanted to be Joseph. The teacher didn't pick him to be Joseph. The teacher picked him to be the innkeeper. Time for the play came. <clears throat> Parents gathered, family gathered, grandparents, siblings came, places full. And it comes time when in the, in the play, in the nativity play, the, uh, Joseph and Mary walk across stage, and it's time for them to knock on the stage. And he opens the door. Joseph says, um, hi, do you have any room for us? We've come such a long way and my wife is pregnant. And the, and the innkeeper says, she can come in, you can't. I wanted to be Joseph. <laughs> there are lots of varieties of what really happened on those occasions. There are many versions. But if you want the real story, then of course you have to go back to the original text, to the scriptures. This day was prepared by God. And it's on this day that we acknowledge not just our presence to one another, but his being present with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And then, of course, his indwelling spirit. And this passage this morning picks up on both of those truths. 
And then I think through that, it is appropriate that flowing out of that, Jesus wants to bless people. Firstly, with knowing him and then flowing out of that into other parts and dimensions of their life. It's fully appropriate. So when you buy gifts for one another, buy gifts you think Jesus would be pleased with. That the Lord would want them to have, bless them with that. In 1999, a Lutheran pastor in Germany once made the observation and became famous for this observation and that they suggested, rather, <clears throat> that the manger ought to be the symbol of Christianity and not the cross. So I said they became famous because of it, but you can't have one without the other. And they were really trying to tone down the violence and the blood, the bloodshed of the cross. It's much more softer and attractive to have a cute little baby. Who doesn't like a baby and, you know, his humility of lying in straw? That was the pastor's motivation. But of course, the cross is the symbol of Christianity. Because without the cross, the birth becomes meaningless. It's God coming into our world, but he came into our world in order to die, in order to redeem us. The cradle becomes the cross. The cradle points to the cross. You need both, but ultimately it's through his cross, his death and resurrection, that we are saved. Well, if we look at this passage, we've got a few things to learn. When did he come? Tells us. How did he come? A couple of things. Why did he come? This passage addresses those issues for us. So let's have a look at these. Let me try and work this thing. Well, ignore that one. When did Jesus come? In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. This is the event, Christmas is the event, Jesus is coming, which is the hinge of history. Before Christ and after Christ. Before the common era or the common era. <clears throat> Doesn't matter, it's still him. It revolves and circulates around him. Everything had been prepared and now in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. <clears throat> in the fullness of time, back in general, in Daniel chapter 9, God had given a prophecy, an actual given um, 70 weeks, and then 69 weeks were to be fulfilled, and the 69 weeks were just about complete, were coming to fruition. It was almost the time when the anointed one would be cut off. So prophetically, the fullness of time had come. Culturally, the fullness of time had come, because Alexander the Great, three, years, three centuries before this, conquered the known world, had spread Greek culture and Greek language everywhere. There was now a common language, both economically but also in terms of being able to share biblical truth right throughout the ancient world. Um, politically, the fullness of time had come because the Romans were uh, ruling and reigning and under the Roman Empire there was the thing called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And that peace allowed, with their highways that they had constructed, free movement of people, of witnesses and of missionaries, which is why God allowed it. So now you have this, no checks and balances, at, uh, no visas necessary at country borders. You could just simply go wherever you liked. And God had prepared all of this so that his witnesses could take the life-saving message of Jesus and share it in the Greek language with all who could hear. Spiritually, the time was fulfilled because the Jews had certainly returned to uh, the land of Israel after their exile in Babylon. The Bible had been translated into Greek, the LXX, two centuries before this, and synagogues had been established throughout the ancient world. So there were roads, there were gatherings of God's people who had copies of God's word 
God had prepared all of this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Notice three things about this. God. Tells, oh. God is moving towards us. It gives us a clue that God is loving, caring. He's not mad at us. He's mad about us. The one that we had offended is now approaching us. He breaks the silence and he comes to bless his enemies. How gracious and compassionate he is. God sent. Everything Jesus did when he came is done under the authority and by the commission of his heavenly father. He was sent to represent God and to reveal God and he came. He was the perfect messenger and ambassador. So behind everything that Jesus says and does stands God himself. In fact, he is God. He's God the Son, fully representing him. And God the Father and God the Spirit sends forth the Son who comes into our world to be born of a woman. The infinite creator has become the incarnate saviour. When you think about that phrase, born of a woman, it's a very normal thing. We're all born of a woman. So why say that about Jesus? Well, because there's something different about him. There's something unique about him. Before you were born of a woman, you didn't exist. Not true for Jesus. Before he was born of a woman, he did exist for all eternity past in heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Son, the eternal, essential, divine one, comes into our world, becomes human, and is born of a woman. He becomes, as this phrase undoubtedly means, fully human. But notice also the subtlety of the silence. He was not born of a man. There could be a faint allusion, perhaps, to the virgin birth. Jesus was born of a woman, but only of a woman. There was no human father involved. He is the promised seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus, having a divine nature, now takes to himself a full human nature. It's impossible to imagine. But he's in heaven, in resplendent glory, robed in divine majesty. And what does he don't know? What does he do? Does he take off the robes of his majesty and assume the humility of the state that he's in? I don't know. Philippians 2 certainly says that he emptied himself. He gave up something permanently. He became a child, grew to be an adult male, adult human, died, was buried, that body was raised, that body ascended, that body sits at the right-hand side of the Father, that body will be returning in glory. It's a glorified body, but it's that human body forever. God has become one of us forever, enabling us to become one with him. That's what Christmas is about. The invisible God has become visible in Jesus. The intangible God has become touchable. The unknowable God has become approachable. I like this saying, I say it all the time. The God who was above us in the Old Testament is the God who is with us in Jesus and he's the God who is in us. 
by his spirit, as this passage will go on to tell us about. Jesus became fully human, born of a woman, permanently for you and me. He was born under the law, a fully righteous person. He never deviated from God's laws. He obeyed all of God's laws perfectly, both outwardly and inwardly. There's a remarkable verse in John's Gospel in chapter 14, verse 30, where Jesus, just about to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says to his disciples who had gathered there to pray, he said, Behold, the evil one is approaching me, not Judas, but here comes Satan in Judas. The evil one is approaching me, and he has nothing to hang on to in me. He has nothing to hold on to. See, Satan looks at us and he finds our sins and he finds our weaknesses and he can exploit that. He uses that to tempt us and to trip us up and to cause us to stumble. But when he looked at Jesus, there was nothing. There's no sin. Jesus never gave in to any temptation. He was born under the law, born a Jew. He was the one who gave the law. He's the one who's going to judge lawbreakers. But now he is born. He submits himself to that law morally, ceremonially and nationally. The whole law of God. He submits himself to it. That law of God perpetually reminds us of our failure, of our own ability to keep God's standards. Everywhere you turned, particularly if you were a Jew and particularly if you were living under the Mosaic law, everywhere you turned, there was a law about something and there was limitations and restrictions and you couldn't do that and you couldn't go there and you couldn't wear this and you couldn't gather that together. There's laws about everything. Everywhere you turned, you were reminded it's impossible to keep, we know that. It's impossible to even keep the Ten Commandments. And there are 613 commandments. We don't even keep the first one. You'll have no other gods before me. No, blew that one. And everybody says, most people would say, well, at least I haven't murdered anybody. And then Jesus comes along and says, well, actually, it's not just about murder. It's about anger in your heart. And then you go, oh. We've even broken that one. We've broken God's laws, if not nearly all of them. It's impossible for us to save ourselves through the law. We need a saviour. And so God came. Born of a woman, born under the law. Why? This is the reason. To redeem, first reason, to set us free. To stand in our place and to take the full penalty for our sin. He became one of us that he could represent us. He was fully God that he could take the full eternal punishment of God for our sin. Jesus stood in the gap to redeem, to buy us back. It's a wonderful truth and it's a simple truth. And because of its simplicity, many people miss it. Many people, and perhaps some here today, still think we have to earn God's favour. We can't earn God's favour. Some people think even as you, after you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, now we have to be obedient. Yes, we do. But they think we have to be obedient in order to please God. No. God is already pleased with us. We're obedient to him because he is pleased with us. We're obedient to him because he loves us. We do, we do not obey him in order to earn his pleasure or to earn his love for us. Our obedience doesn't make him love us more just like our sin doesn't make him love us less. We are redeemed, fully redeemed, totally cleansed of all sin, past, present, future. That's the wonderful truth of the grace of God. We will no longer be held accountable for our sin. 
we are held accountable for our works, for the things that he's entrusted to us, for our levels of obedience, if you like. Have you done what I asked you to do? But that doesn't increase or decrease his love or his attitude towards us. He has redeemed us and we need to be redeemed. But not only did Jesus come to redeem us, he also came that we might receive something else, to receive adoption of sons. In Adam, we all fell. We are not just simply reinstated to the state or the status we had in Adam, in the Garden of Eden, before sin. We are actually elevated above that. We are not only redeemed, we are now received. We are adopted. We are his sons and daughters. We're his children. We're part of his family. There's a wonderful hint of this in the resurrection. This is why Jesus was born of a woman. This is why he was born under the law. In order to redeem those who are under the law, that they might receive, that we might receive adoption as his brothers and sisters. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. The disciples, Peter and John, had been to the tomb and they'd run off and she was left there wondering and not realising what had really happened. And he says her name. And he, she realises then it's Jesus and she runs to him and she grabs hold, she clings to him tight. And Jesus says to her, don't be clinging to me like that. I have not yet ascended to my father and your father. Your father. Here's the hint. That's why he died. When he rose again from the dead, we've received adoption. God is now our father. Or to the women who had been there and they'd run back to see the disciples. Jesus catches up with them and meets with them. And he says to those women, here's another hint. Tell my, tell my brothers to go before me and I'll meet them in Galilee. Tell my brothers. They're part of the family. Adopted. It's a wonderful truth. Because I am now adopted into God's family, I am treated like royalty we have royal blood if you like we are the megan markles of the spiritual world because we're family we can go in and out of god's house because it's our house when my kids come and visit me they do not knock on the door to come in they just open the door and come in why because they're family even my son-in-law does that why well he's family you can't do that You better not do that. I can't do that at your place. It'd be wrong, wouldn't it? It's not your place. Only those people who have been adopted or are very close to us get that sort of permission. That's what we have now with God. We can come into his presence. Because God is my father, because God is our father, because we are part of his family, all that he has is now ours. We share in it. It's what the father says to the prodigal son, to the older brother. Son, you've always been with me and I've always loved you and all that I have is yours because God is our Father. We are heirs, as we'll come to in a moment. His countenance makes us glad. We're not afraid of him, but we delight in him. Nothing can separate us from him. We've been adopted. It was costly. It was planned. It's now legal. It's impossible to undo. It's permanent. When you're in, you're in and when you're in you're transformed as you've been loved and accepted so now we are to be loving and accepting 
of others. We are to bear his image to others around us. Just like Jesus represented him in the world, so now God sends us into the world to represent him. To receive adoption as sons. God will never cancel it. I like this. The stars will turn to coal and the sun and the moon will vanish. But those born of God, those adopted, are his forever and their life will never end. Wonderful truth. Jesus came into our world, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us and for us to receive the adoption of our son, uh, as sonship. And what's more, God wants you to know that. This passage says that God sent forth the spirit of his son, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit that was in Jesus, God sends to us. This is a second sending. God sent his son, God has sent his spirit. The son to redeem, the son and the spirit to communicate and to reveal to us that we are his adopted children. Think about this. Just as the son indwelt a human body, his mother's body, and just as he took on his own human body permanently, so now we and our body can be indwelt by God himself, his spirit, indwelling us. That same spirit that was in Jesus is now in us. That same spirit that came upon Jesus for ministry can come upon us for ministry. And we'll learn more about that as we go forward. The Holy Spirit offers us this subjective confirmation to this objective truth. Jesus Christ died to redeem. He is present. His spirit is present within to comfort and to guide, to teach and to shape us, to witness, to tell us your mind. God is my father. And therefore, the spirit within us helps us to cry, Abba, Father. That cry is an intense word. It represents an intense feeling. It's the cry of a child crying out for help or assistance. It's the cry that Jesus gives in Mark 14. He uses those words, Abba, Father. Because he is our father, we can approach him. But only a child can call him father. There are two worlds, two spiritual realities, two kingdoms in our world. There is a kingdom of God and there is a kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. One ruled by God, the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus, he's king. He is our, the father is our father. So when we pray our father, we're praying to him. But for those people who are not in Christ, those people who are still in this spiritual kingdom, they're in the kingdom of Satan. When they say father, they're talking to their father, the evil one. Two different kingdoms, two different fathers. One who is loving and kind, who redeems and who loves us incredibly. And this one who deceives and who hates and wants to destroy. They're the two kingdoms. And we're in this kingdom because Jesus came. And if you're in that kingdom, you can be in this kingdom. God's got his arms open wide, waiting for you to come. We can call him Father. Ephesians 3.12, Rhonda asked me the other day, do I have a favourite verse? I don't have a favourite verse, I have lots of favourite verses. This is one of them, Ephesians 3.12, particularly in the New Living Translation. And it's now in its second or third edition, but I think it might be the first one. Anyway, because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can now come um, boldly and fearlessly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. Isn't that beautiful? 
because of Jesus and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and fearlessly into God's presence, assured of his glad welcome. We're his child. Which means when the angels look at us, they are amazed. We are sons and daughters of God. We have what the cherubim have, will never have. We have been elevated to the divine status of family. Not divine. We're not divine. He's divine. But we're part of his family. When the demons look at us, they are bothered. Because they know who we are. Sons and daughters of God. That we have authority over them. Because of him. And in him. Therefore we cry, Abba, Father. And because of that, because we are sons, God has also made us heirs with all of those rich privileges which I have been talking about. We are part of his bloodline. Well, what does all of this mean? What are the results that Jesus came for? What's he looking for? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem us. Why? Well, he died for you to redeem you. Have you accepted that? That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose. Have you received the spirit of Jesus? Have you invited him to become part of your life? Have you asked him to forgive you and cleanse you? You can. Have you been adopted? You can be. Are you an heir of God? You can be. Why do you wait? Do it today. Are you giving back as he wants you to? He gave his all for us in order to redeem us and for us to receive adoption as sons in order for us then to represent him in this world and to give to others firstly this truth but also demonstrating his love and grace Christina Rossetti wrote a little poem what shall I give him and I was reflecting on that this week it's good for today but it's also coming off Stuart from last Sunday what can we give the one who has everything Christina Rossetti wrote these words what shall I give him poor as I am if I were a shepherd, I'd bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. What shall I give him? I'll give him my heart. That's what he wants. That's why he came. In the words of that beautiful uh, Christmas song, uh, A Little Town of Bethlehem, the words of the, the, of the verse go... O holy, child, o holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Well, just to finish off, this wonderful passage of Scripture tells us something about God. God's attitude towards us is one of grace and love. It's amazing. God is favorably disposed towards us, that he took the initiative, he approached us, he sent his son who willingly came. He sent his spirit, who lovingly comes and indwells, who is at work in us. We matter to God. You're important to him. That comes out of this passage. Secondly, out of this passage, we should celebrate his birth. I know that's controversial. I know some Christians say that we shouldn't, but I think we should. I know it's not in scripture, but it is in our culture, and it's a wonderful opportunity. Our children and our grandchildren they should realise from our celebration, from the way that we remember him on his birthday, is far more important than our own birthday or one of our spouse's birthday or even our kid's birthday. It's his birthday. We should celebrate that. And what can we give him? Give him our heart. They should know that. 
they should also know and accept the truth of the doctrine of the incarnation, that God became human. It's all true. He joined the human family in order that we could join his family. He gave us his spirit who now lives in us. And a Christian is not somebody who lives in a Christian country. A Christian is not somebody who follows certain moral guidelines. A Christian is somebody who has Christ in them. Take Christ out of Christian and what do you have left? Ian. Not saying he's not a nice person, but Ian can't help you. You need Jesus in you. You need Jesus to be part of your life. RSVP, what does that stand for? Respondo Suverplay. Something like that. Respondo Suverplay. How's that? That'll do. Remember some vetting present. That's what it means, isn't it? <laughs> Christmas is God's invitation. Christmas is God saying to the world, I came into the world, I died for you, you have to respond to the invitation, RSVP. Have you RSVP'd? Have you made a response to him? And then finally, many of you have. For those of you who have, then go and do likewise. Go and do what he did. Give yourself to save others and to serve others. Give yourself as a witness to him to declare the truth to the lost. It's mandatory, it's not optional. That's his will. And serve others. The Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation is still to have its growing impact upon each of us. The implications of this passage and of his coming. Let's bow together. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you loved us, that you planned and you sent your Son into our world to redeem us and to adopt us, that you sent your Spirit to indwell us, to witness with us, and now we can call you Father that you've made us heirs in your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to embrace our heritage and to live accordingly. And help those who are yet to RSVP, help them to respond this day. Help them to talk with you, to submit to you, and to accept your great gift of Jesus and forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.